Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Relaunches this Wednesday at uh, from 1 to 3. Yeah, amen, amen. You know, I don't know about you, but it feels to me like 2021 is flying by. Anybody else getting that feeling? Um, it's been nuts. It's been crazy. Um, and, and one of the things that means, since we're at the, toward the end of October now, is that All Saints Day is fast approaching. And the first Sunday of November, we celebrate All Saints Day at Garfield Memorial Church. And we read the role of members of the church who have passed on to the church triumphant in the last year. We light a candle in their honor and list their names in the bulletin for our heritage service and uh, put pictures on the screen here. This year, we want to invite any of you who've lost someone you love, a family member or a friend to the pandemic, um, to send us their name and a photo and their date of their passing so we can honor their life and your loss this year. Um, we're also going to light a candle in honor of all the saints who've passed on and impacted each and every one of us, and we'll name them silently in our hearts. And as we light the candles, as we light those candles, this year. Let's, let's set ourselves ablaze. Let's remember again and hear Jesus say at this very time, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So that's all coming up in just a couple of weeks. So please uh, uh, take time again. If you've, if you've lost anyone you've loved to the pandemic, let us know their name. Uh, send us a photo and the date of their passing and we will honor them and, and honor you and your loss. Um, we are continuing the series this morning of uh, No Place Like Home. And of course, we know that, that homes in this life are not perfect. They have varying degrees of brokenness and pain and heartache. Um, but when we talk about no place like home. One of the things we're really talking about is that ultimate home that, that we are on a journey toward, the beloved community, the kingdom of God, um, that, 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 that home where, where folks from every language, tribe, and nation gather together and walk, worship, work, play, love, laugh together. We don't get there by magic. I don't care how many movies you've seen, it takes more than closing our eyes, tapping our heels together and saying, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. To get, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then, you know, you got to watch old movies too, you know, just saying that. We get there to that place, to that home, to the kingdom, the beloved community. To get there from here requires a journey, not a race. But a journey. And our, the difference between a race and a journey is in a race, there are competitors. There are rivals in a race. And, and what matters in a race is not who gets to the end, but who gets there first. Right? We know that. Uh, I hear folk, some folks say that second place is just the first loser. Um, and that, you know, we can laugh at that. That can break our hearts. But that is the, that is the operating ethic of this world and our culture. 
that what matters is not who gets there, but who gets there first. On a journey, though, we don't have rivals, we have fellow travelers. And it doesn't matter what order we get there in, we all get there. That's what matters. How many of us can get there? How many of us will arrive there? (laughs) So we're on this journey. And there are different ways to go. Every time you leave your house in the morning, you have choices. And I have choices. Which way are we going to go today? We're going to look at two different ways that we can see in the scripture that, uh, that Kyle read for us this morning. Um, one is the way of rivalry. The way of rivalry. That's the way that Cain chose to travel. He chose the way of rivalry. And there are some hallmarks, the way of rivalry. Some things we can expect in ourselves and and, uh, things that we can expect to experience if we choose to travel this way of rivalry. The first thing we can expect is anger and sadness. The way of rivalry yields anger and sadness. We see that in Cain right from the get-go. It's, it's really, in a sense, this is a very dramatic and traumatic thing that Cain has gone through. He and his younger brother Abel have brought the fruits of their labor as an offering gift to God. And the Bible says not just that God accepted and respected Abel's offering and didn't respect or accept Cain's offering. The Bible says that God respected Abel and his offering and did not respect Cain and his offering. It wasn't just what they brought. It was the person. And that, that word respect in the Hebrew, you know, it, it carries a lot of different meanings. It can, mean, it can mean respect, it can mean honor, it can mean favor, it can mean acceptance. These were all of the things that Abel got for his offering and his self that Cain didn't get. And Cain, Cain saw his brother Abel not as his sibling, but as his rival. And he left that time with his brother and God, sad and angry. This is the way of rivalry. You know that. You've competed. If you've been in, raise your hand if you've been in a competition online. Raise your hand. Well, you can tap your TV screen or, or shout something. Put it in the comments. That's the better thing to do. If you've ever been in a competition, anyone here ever lose and gone, wow, that was so cool. I had so much fun. We tell our kids that. It's not, doesn't really matter who wins. Or Some folks tell their kids that. Other folks say, you better win. But kids, you know, kids like winning. And adults like winning. And when we lose, what do we feel? We feel sad. We feel angry. That's what Cain felt. Because he viewed his brother as a rival. Sadness and anger. The sadness there is represented in the text. It says his his, uh, expression fell. It's a Hebrew idiom that, that really refers to sadness. And so, and then straight up anger there. The second thing we can expect to experience on the way of rivalry is division and death. Rivalry always leads to division. Always leads to division. When you're out competing, whether it's on a football field or a racetrack or a baseball field, basketball court, wherever you're competing, cricket, soccer, whatever it is, Monopoly, you're not there to cooperate, you're there to beat the other team. Maybe you cooperate with your teammates, but the division then is between the two teams. 
we've seen those videos, maybe you have, I know I've seen them on YouTube where, where someone trips and falls in a track and field event of some sort and, and the other, you know, other runners stop and they help them get across the finish line. We go, oh, that's beautiful. The reason why that's so touching and so beautiful because those are incredibly rare exceptions to the almost universal rule that in competition, we don't cooperate, we're divided. Rivalry leads to division and in extreme circumstances to death, ultimately to death. In some situations like Cain and Abel, it led to literal murder and death. In others, it leads to different kinds of death. It leads to the death of relationship the death of community, the death of caring and compassion, the death of love and connection. It's the way of rivalry. When Cain rose up against his brother and killed him out there in the field and God came to Cain and he he confronted him with what he'd done and Cain blew it off and God cursed Cain. We didn't read that part. He cursed him. And part of the curse was this. You will wander the earth aimlessly, divided from people. And that, in fact, is the third piece of the way of rivalry. Aimlessness and loneliness. Cain was cursed to wander the earth aimlessly. You see, the problem with this way of rivalry, if we think that by winning, we're going to fill up something. If I can, if, even if I'm not great, if I can just be better than them, that person, those people, that group of my team, if my side can't, if we, if we can't be perfect, at least we're better than they are. The problem with that attitude and that mindset in this journey on life and, and that, that way of rivalry is that we, we think that somehow by being better than them, we're going to fill up something that's lacking in us. That by winning one more thing, getting one more trophy, one more promotion, one more attaboy or girl, one more word of praise or honor or accolade in public, somehow we'll fill up this thing in our lives that we know is empty, and it never does. And so we end up bouncing from rivalry to rivalry, competition to competition, thing to thing, aimless, no real sense of mission beyond how can I get better? How can I win? How can I beat this other person or this other team or this other side? That's the way of rivalry. We're going to get into an example of that later on, but let's look at the other way. The way that God offers to Cain the way that he invites him to live, the way that he invites him to journey, the way that he invites him to be and walk and move through this life. And that is the way of loving responsibility. The way of loving responsibility. The first key component of this way is that this is a way of self-examination. The way of rivalry is the way of comparison. I'm always comparing myself to someone else. You're always comparing yourself to someone else or your team or your side or your group with that other. And do we have more or less than? Are we better or worse than? Are we more privileged or less? Are we this or that? How much do we have? How much do they have? Who's really winning here? Who's really on top? The way of loving responsibility says, let's put the comparison aside and do some self-examination. God said to Cain, when Cain left that, that encounter, that offering moment, and God had disrespected him and his offering, and God said to him, why are you sad 
and angry? Why are you angry and why is your face downfallen? If you do well, will you not be lifted up? God focuses Cain back on Cain. Don't worry about what Abel's doing and not doing, okay? We'll get to that in a minute. But let's start with you and your relationship with me. Let's start there. Let's examine that and see how you're doing. The way of loving responsibility begins with self-examination rather than comparison with others. The second piece of the way of loving responsibility is this. It's the way of loving responsibility is a way... I, I forgot to read the scripture. Did I get that? Did I read that scripture? I think I did. Good, good. All right. I forgot to include it in my notes, so my mistake. The second piece is it's a, it's a way of relationship and influence. Relationship and influence. There's this passage in here, a, a line that if you're familiar with this story at all, you've probably never heard it translated quite this way. Normally when we read that, when, when God says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you and you must master it or rule over it, something like that. It's not a good translation in English. If that's the only kind of translation you've ever read, it's not surprising. It's the only kind of English translation I was able to find. I looked at like 15, 20 different translations. The Hebrew says that's not a good translation. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but Jeffrey Benner is. And, and he's the one that, that showed this to me. And he, Hebrew is one of those languages in which every noun has a gender. And the gender is either male or female in Hebrew. Um, English doesn't do that. Hebrew does. And, and if, every, if, a, if a noun has a masculine gender, then all pronouns that refer to that noun in Hebrew have to be masculine pronouns. If a noun has a feminine gender, all nouns that refer to that, all pronouns that refer to that noun have to be feminine pronouns. In this phrase, his desire is for you, but you will regulate him. Well, in the, the sentence, if you don't do well, sin crouches at the door. Sin is a feminine noun in Hebrew. It's a feminine noun. The pronouns in Hebrew for the second, for the next sentence, the one in yellow here, are masculine pronouns. According to the rules of Hebrew grammar, they can't refer to sin. God can't be saying that sin's desire is for you, but you must regulate sin or rule over sin or master sin. Benner suggests this translation, that those pronouns, his and him, refer back to Abel, not to sin. And what God is telling Cain is, look, your brother desires you. Your brother looks up to you. Your brothers, you know how we are with celebrities, with people we love, people we admire. We're like, oh, and we want to be close to them. We want to do what they do. We want to buy the kind of clothes they say we should buy and the kind of sneakers they say we should wear and, and do the things they, we have that desire for them, right? And their way of doing things regulates our way of doing things. They set the standard for us. God is saying to Cain, look, you've got a relationship here with your brother. He's not your rival. He's not your competitor. He's your brother. He's looking up to you. He's respecting you. He's admiring you. You've got influence over him. Consider that in the way of loving responsibility. 
See your brother not as a rival, but as someone to care for, someone to guard and someone to protect, someone to influence in a way that leads to life, in a way that leads to the beloved community, not in a way that leads to division and to death. That's the way of loving responsibility. Third hallmark of the way of loving responsibility is just that. It's loving care. Loving care. Once Cain rose up against Abel. Notice that phrase, rose up. Kyle read it. I've used it twice now. We're going to come back to it a little bit later. Remember what God said, if you do well, I will lift you up. Instead, Cain lifted himself up above his brother and killed him. And God confronted Cain about it. God said, where's your brother Abel? Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Some translations say keeper. Six one way, half dozen another. But even that word keeper, again, in Hebrew, it means keeping with an eye for protecting. You could say, am I my brother's bodyguard? And the implicit answer in this text is yes. Yes. That's the way of loving responsibility. You've got influence over him. He's looking up to you. You're setting the standard for him. You've got a responsibility for him to love and care and guard and protect. That is the other way. To live on this journey that we call life. Not as a race with rivals, but as a journey with fellow travelers toward whom we have not competition, but a loving responsibility. Which leads us to the big question. Which path will you walk? Which way will you walk? We, we have a choice here. We have a choice here. And let's go back to that phrase. If you do well, I will lift you up. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. God said, sin is crouching at the door. I've always kind of pictured that as like a lion or a tiger. You know, so I'm going to jump out and grab you. Um, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's what it is. Because sin here in in the Hebrew is not a thing that has an existence of its own that's going to jump out and grab you. Ah, I'm sin, ah, you know. Sin in Hebrew and in Greek, New Testament and Old Testament, the word has its roots in archery, and it means to be off target. Sin is, I'm aiming here, but I'm hitting here. This is the goal, I'm going this way. It's also used for journeys, journeys, when we're off course. My destination is Columbus, I end up in Toledo. I'm off course. You know, one of the things that means, too, is that the right way for you depends on where you're starting from. I live up here in Cleveland. If I'm going to Columbus, I've got to go southwest. My parents live down in the south and southeastern portion of the state. They, if they go southwest from their house, if they go the same way I go, they're not going to end up in Columbus. They've got to go northwest to get to Columbus. But sin crouching at your door, 
sin right outside the door of your house. You're on a journey. This life is a journey. That metaphor runs throughout the scripture. The commandments in scripture, the word Torah literally is about signposts and guardrails, not rules and requirements. That, that notion of rules and requirements, that comes out of, of later Greco-Roman thinking and the influence it had both on Judaism and Christianity. In ancient Hebrew, the Torah, the rules, the commandments were guides and guideposts and, and guardrails to keep us headed in the right direction toward the kingdom of God, not away from it. And sin, sin is waiting right outside your door. If you leave your house in the morning thinking of the people you encounter that day as rivals, you will be off track from the beginning, from the moment you leave your house. And no matter what else you do, no matter how many promotions you get, how many raises you get, how much praise you get, how many contests you win, how many donations you make, how much accolade you can, and honor and praise and respect you get, if you leave your house in the morning on the way of rivalry, you are off track from the beginning and you will never arrive at the beloved community. Ever. I think that's what God is getting at here with this sin is crouching at the door, reminding us every day when I'm leaving the house, which journey am I on? Which way am I going? Which way am I going? We've got some great examples of the way of loving kindness. Paul and Silas, when they were in jail in Philippi, do you remember that story? They were there on mission from God. They were preaching the good news. They were casting out demons. People were coming to follow, follow Jesus, and, 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 and the community, many in the community rose up against them. We can't get into all of the details right now. They ended up being arrested, beaten, and chained in the back corner of a prison. A nasty situation, much worse than you think, really. Can't get into all the details. Very, very bad situation. If they were living their lives thinking of the people around them as rivals, then they would have, how would they have been in that prison? They would have been sad and angry. Sad, I was serving God and all these bad things are happening. And now angry, it's those people out there. They're making me suffer while I'm trying to do good things. Ah! That's the way of rivalry, right? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess, well, guess. I'm going to just assume from the silence that maybe I'm stepping on some toes here. If they had been rivals, when the angel came and shook the ground and broke their chains and opened their doors, they would have run out of that jail, looked back at their jailers and said, we win, you lose, God's on our side, ha! And then the jailer and the guards would have all received the same punishment of all of the prisoners are supposed to get, which probably would, have, would at the minimum meant beating and imprisonment and likely death. That's the way of rivalry. But Paul and Silas didn't view those people that were beating them and imprisoning them as rivals, but as siblings to whom they had a loving responsibility. So when the chains fell off and the doors opened, they stayed in jail because they loved those folks. They had a responsibility to them. The people their jail, hear this. We got to hear this. The people that, that arrested them, beat them, and imprisoned them were not rivals keeping them from the mission that God had given them. They were the mission God had given them. They were the mission. 
Yeah, God, God called him to go there and preach the gospel, absolutely. But more foundational than that, God had called them to love their neighbors as themselves. And no matter what your neighbor does to you, if you love them, you're still on the way of Jesus. You're still fulfilling the mission God has given you. No one can stop you from fulfilling the mission God has given you except you by deciding to treat them as rivals rather than as siblings to whom you have a loving responsibility, no matter what they're doing to you. Paul and Silas stayed in jail. They lived that way of loving responsibility, that way of loving care with compassion. And what did they have? They had influence and relationship. The jailer and his whole family came to follow Jesus. Do you think if Paul and Silas had run out and said, hey, look, see, we told you God loves us more than you. You guys are all doing it wrong. Ha, you're going to go to hell unless you follow Jesus like me. God got me out of jail. Would you think they would have responded to that? But they stayed in jail. They showed love, compassion, care. They were acting as guardians to their jailers, their torturers. And through that influence, they set the standard for that jailer and him and his whole family became followers of Jesus. That's the way of loving responsibility. Not rivalry. Let's get an example of the way of rivalry other than Cain and Abel. We see it all throughout Scripture, this, this whole business of sibling rivalry. You know, Jacob and Esau were stuck in that, that Pastor Chip preached so well on the past couple of weeks. Uh, uh, Rachel and Leah were in that. Um, Jesus' brothers were in that. They were rivals with Jesus and, 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 and having fits with him, being the Messiah. The disciples, they weren't biological brothers. They were spiritual brothers and sisters. And they were all, while Jesus is washing their feet, they're like, I'm better than you are. No, I'm better than you are. That's the way of rivalry. Paul and Mark, you know, some conflict happened there, and Paul's like, I can't work with you anymore, Mark. You just go away. And then Peter and Paul were in competition and, and treating each other as right. This sibling rivalry thing carries on throughout Scripture, throughout culture. I don't know if it's present in every culture, but I know it's present in ours. Let's get an example of that. It actually starts with an example of loving responsibility. You ever hear of Spokane Gary? Raise your hand if you ever hear of Spokane Gary. Someone online, put in there if you've ever heard of Spokane Gary. So I'm not seeing any hands here. Not surprised, but I am saddened by that. Spokane Gary is one of the greatest evangelists in the history of North America. He was in his life the son of and then the chief of the Spokane Nation, one of the first nations in this continent. He was born in the early 1800s in the uh, upper plateau of what is now northwest United States, western uh, Montana and, and, and eastern Washington. His father was the chief. Long before Spokane Gary was born and before his father was born, other folks, First Nations folks from that area, at least two people that had visions, very clear visions that were very similar with one significant distinction. The, the similarity is this. These two folks had visions that, that people with white skin wearing black robes would come and they would have bound leaves in their hands and that they were to listen to those people because they would teach them the way of life. One of the visions said, after they come, there will be other white-skinned people that come that are soldiers and they will destroy you. 
And this legend, this story had been circulated, this vision had been circulated among the Spokane Nation and the Nez Perce and other First Nations folks in that region for years. And so when the missionaries came with white skin and black robes and the bound leaves of the books of the Scripture in their hand, the First Nations folks listened to them. They treated them not as rivals, but as siblings to whom they had a loving responsibility. And they put such faith and such confidence in them that that the chief of the Spokane nation and the chief of the Nez Perce nation, they sent their eldest sons to be trained and educated by these missionaries. Their sons were gone for four years. One of them was Spokane Gary. And when they came back, They preached the gospel and the language of their people with the customs and traditions of their people. And many, 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 many came to be followers of Jesus. And the way the entire nations of people there changed and adjusted their lives to become followers of Jesus, to follow this way of loving responsibility, was, was noted by, by Christians and non-Christians of life that came, alike that came into that area in the following years and were astounded at how these folks were living, living out the way of Jesus, the way of love and care and compassion for others. Until the soldiers came, as that one vision said they would. And the church came, not just the initial missionaries, but the church came. And the soldiers in the church looked at those First Nations folks not as siblings to whom they owed a loving responsibility, but as rivals for resources, land, and respect, and privilege, and power, and wealth. And what followed was division, and destruction, and death. And Spokane Gary, who'd been the chief of a nation, died in abject poverty without one square foot of land that he could say was his own. That's the way of rivalry. That is the way of rivalry. There's another great story about journeys that I love. It's the the story of the Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's a good movie books are even better. Young Frodo Baggins is leaving on his journey. He's not gone too far outside the door of his house, and he remembers these words that his uncle Bilbo, no stranger to journeying himself, said to him. Bilbo said, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Truer words have never been spoken. Truer words have never been spoken. See, the pressure of our culture and civilization is for us to think of everyone we encounter throughout the day as a rival. As a rival to be overcome. And if we take that attitude, that that group or that, that, those folks whether it's because of how they vote or, or where they live or the color of their skin or who they love, whatever it is, and we say, I gotta overcome them, I've gotta overcome them, I've gotta if we leave the house with that mindset, we are off track from the very beginning. But if we leave the house with the mindset of Jesus, who said, I am the way, said, I am the way. 
Jesus, who was lifted up. We gotta, I'm running past a little bit. I apologize for that. I've got about two more minutes here. Jesus, remember God said to Cain, if you do well, will you not be lifted up? We've got to be careful with that because in the way of rivalry, to be lifted up means we won. We get the praise. We're on the highest podium. We get the most precious metal to hang around our neck. We get the endorsements and the big contracts. We get the, the praise and the accolades and everyone's buying our food. We never have to pay for a meal. That's what being lifted up means in the way of rivalry. But in the way of loving responsibility, being lifted up means the cross. Jesus, who lived this way, was lifted up on the cross. And if Jesus had looked out upon those folks that were crucifying him and viewed them as rivals, we've got to put to death this notion that Jesus viewed anyone as a rival, even Satan. Satan was not Jesus' rival any more than I'm LeBron James's rival on the basketball court, okay? Let's be clear about that. Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's praying See, he's the older brother that Cain never was. And he says to his father, again, he uses the word father. It's not an accident. He prays, Father, forgive them. These are my siblings. They don't know what they're doing, but I have a loving responsibility for them. I'm here as their guardian, as their keeper, as their protector. No matter what they're doing to me, that responsibility never changes. Forgive them, Father. Forgive them. He marked them with his own blood. Remember that part of the story of Cain and Abel? In the end, God tells Cain, you're banished. The ground is cursed. Your labor is going to go unfulfilled. You're cursed and you will be rejected and wander aimlessly. And Cain says, my guilt is too great for me. He feels some remorse apparently. People are going to find me and kill me. And so God puts a mark on him. Literally, he puts a sign on him. You know where else that word, and he said, when people see that sign, they won't kill you. Whatever Cain had done, God left the door open for mercy and compassion and forgiveness and restoration. God did not feel Cain warranted the death penalty. God left him alive with his seal upon him so that he could maybe wander back into the way of loving responsibility. You know where else that word is used, that word sign? It's when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God said, there's one final plague coming. I'm going to send an angel of death among among the households of Egypt. He's going to take the life of the firstborn in every household. But do this, sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on your doorposts as a sign. The same word for the word that God put upon Cain. And now we have a different sign. We have the blood of Jesus, which we can't see, but we have the mark of baptism, the sign of baptism, which marks us out so that we too will live in the way of Jesus, the way of loving responsibility. Dr. King said it this way, the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. 
The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit, this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. Do you see that loving responsibility, the relationship and the influence? It is this type of understanding and goodwill that will transform the deep gloom of the old age into the exuberant gladness of the new age. It is this love which will bring about miracles in the hearts of people. So which way will you walk? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this way you have shown us. Give us the grace today, Lord, to live the way of loving responsibility. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship together. Then Pastor Lori is going to